And if you're just joining us today, we are at the tail end of a series called Rhythms of Life that we've been in for, I guess this is the fifth week. And here's the gist. As humans, we crave repetition, structure, and rhythm to to live our lives with. We need it. Um, And we believe that Jesus has a rhythm for our lives and our pursuit of him. He leads us up, in, out, and with and at his own pace, God's speed. And we've looked at each of these rhythms over the last weeks. We've devoted a sermon to each one to consider uh, what it's all about. And a quick review, so we, we considered our upward rhythm, which in short is our calling to make the one thing of our lives our upward and onward pursuit of Jesus. And our inward rhythm, as we behold Christ and in our innermost being, we're transformed into his, into his image. We considered our outward rhythm, that as we encounter the wounds of the resurrected Lord, we are sent into the world to share his peace with others. And we considered our withward rhythm, the role that community plays, that each other and the church plays in our transformation into Christ-likeness. And today we've reached the conclusion, and we're going to wrap it up, not with another rhythm per se, but uh, with thinking about the pace uh, that we live these rhythms at. You could call it the tempo, I suppose, if we continue on with the uh, musical words. And this pace is called God's speed. God's speed is our pace. And God's speed is a pace that demands presence with God, with ourselves, and with others. And I think we'll find as we explore this together that God's speed is probably a pace a little slower than what we're used to. First, I want to give you a little background about where this idea came from. A few, years, a few years ago, after I'd started studying at Regent College in October 2015, I went to a film screening there called Godspeed. Uh, it was made by a Regent alumni, a guy named Matt Canlis, who's a pastor in Washington State, who pr- produced the film, and I commend it to all of you to watch online if you're interested. In short, Uh, What Matt does is he reflects on the pace of our lives as Christians and asks, what is the pace of Jesus? What pace did he live at? And as his followers, what does that mean for us? What is the pace our lives should look like following Jesus? And since then, this idea of the pace of Jesus has really convicted me and I've carried it with me since. Um, Of all the pieces of our rhythms of life, the up, in, out, with, This Godspeed one is, I think, the one I wrestle with the most. And last fall, we watched this video as a St. Peter's staff together and molded over and thinking about it. And we're now convinced that with our rhythms of life, uh, this is the pace that we're called to do it at, to go up and out and with. And that the pace is actually integral to the practice of these rhythms. Now, today is Palm Sunday, as you know the beginning of Holy Week, and when we think about Jesus entering into Jerusalem for the last time. And so we're going to look at this gospel passage together that was read this morning from the Gospel of Luke. And as we do, we'll particularly consider the question of pace. What can we learn about the pace of Jesus from this passage? What does it tell us about who God is? What speed God moves at? And what speed our lives should move at following God? So here's the main idea. It's very simple. We go at God's speed because it's the pace of Jesus. 
We go at God's speed because it's the pace of Jesus. And we'll explore three ideas in this Palm Sunday passage to think about it. The first is an unnamed village. The second is long walks. And the third is royal donkeys. Unnamed village, long walks, royal donkeys. So let's begin with an unnamed village. We're going to read again Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 34. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, go into, the un- go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So, th- so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. Now, a friend of mine recently remind- reminded me last week that if Jesus is really God, then we should pay very close attention to every word we have written down that he said uh, in the Gospels. So what about this short story? about two unnamed disciples going into an unnamed small village to, to get a colt and bring it to Jesus. Why does it matter? It's easy to read over this little bit of the story quickly because it seems very ordinary, very everyday. But let's pay attention and read it carefully. The story is rich with detail. When we compare it with the speed of the rest of Luke's gospel, that moves uh, and how the speed moves in other parts of the gospel, this narration has really slowed here for a moment. Jesus is near Bethany and Bethphage, two villages on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Nearby him is the Mount of Olives, we learn. Jesus is walking, as he always did. And we know from later in the story that he's amidst a great crowd of pilgrims going to Jerusalem for the Passover. But in these verses... Luke narrows the frame on Jesus and two of his disciples. He zooms in and just looks at these three. Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And they obeyed. Jesus gives simple instructions. They're a bit odd instructions, but simple. And the disciples heard his voice and they obeyed. The story is powerful because it is ordinary. Certainly the disciples paid attention and attuned to Jesus in the miraculous moments of his ministry. I'm sure their eyes were wide open when he was healing people and feeding the 5,000 and commanding the wind and the waves what to do. I mean, who wouldn't be amazed? and paying attention, and of course, in his passion and resurrection. But how many more moments did they have? Some recorded in the Gospels, but most were not, that were ordinary and not so miraculous. We know the disciples certainly did not always hear Jesus' voice in the way of understanding. They often didn't understand him or what he was doing. But in this scene, the directions are quite simple, and their response follows. They heard him, and they obeyed. When we live at God's speed, we live at a pace 
where we have the capacity to hear Jesus' voice in the 90% of our lives that makes up the ordinary. When he says things like, go over to that village and bring me back a donkey. Eugene Peterson translates Romans 12, verse 1, in the message like this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Yes, we encounter Christ in particular moments of the miraculous. But this isn't the norm, is it? Our lives are not usually mountaintop experiences or words of revelation from the Spirit. We yearn for these. We want them and we give thanks when they occur. But they're more often what Peterson's talking about, the ordinary stuff of life. And this is our challenge, to offer this 90%. Maybe it's 99% to God, realizing it is spiritual. And to pay attention to see how God might be speaking to us and calling us towards holiness in these sorts of everyday moments. Thomas Long sharpens this point for us, makes it a little more potent. He writes this, The spiritual thin place is not Iona or Nepal, but at that particular table with these, this spouse and these children, and making peace with those pesky neighbors, and doing this job, and living out the messiness of ordinary life in a workaday world, to eat and to drink and to labor. This is the temple where happiness is possible and where the holy has chosen to dwell. Are we living the rhythms of our lives at a pace where we can hear the voice of Jesus giving us seemingly ordinary commands? Go into the village in front of you, untie the colt and bring it here. Pick up the phone and call that friend that's been on your mind. Meet your next door neighbor. Slow down and remember the difficult day your roommate has had. Maybe make her dinner and do the dishes. Going at God's speed requires slowing down. It requires some margin. And listening carefully for the voice of Jesus in the seemingly ordinary moments of the day. Okay, now let's talk about long walks. Jesus took many long walks, didn't he? He moved at the same slow pace you and I would walk at too. Now we're talking about Jesus walking because when he mounts the colt on Palm Sunday in our, in our story, it's an unprecedented move. In his ministry, moving between the small villages, primarily around the Sea of Galilee on the northern end of this lake, Jesus always walked. Have you ever noticed that? There was relatively short distances between the villages Jesus frequented in Galilee, Nazareth and Capernaum and, and Cana and Bethsaida. But to our modern sensibilities, walking between them is an entirely foreign concept. Take, for example, a walk from Nazareth to Capernaum. It's about a 20-mile walk. That would be like walking from right here to Horseshoe Bay. That's about eight hours of walking if you were to just do it. And that's about a distance, right, that would take us 20 minutes driving down the freeway without traffic, of course. Now, in our story, right, Jesus acquires a colt to ride into Jerusalem with no problems. It seemed very easy for him. 
So we must assume Jesus was intentional about walking the rest of his ministry. He could have used a trusty steed if he desired, but he did not. He walked. Why did he walk? Well, one reason, I think, is because walking is a pace of presence. His long walks gave him time to talk to his disciples, to know them, and to be known by them. He did not rush to the next synagogue in the next town in order to preach his next sermon too quickly. He took his time. He took seriously the time with the people right in front of him. Now think about the hours in, in a car you may have had on a, with a friend on a road trip. I don't know about you, but I can recall some of my best conversations and times with friends when we have hours and hours on end driving in a car and we have nothing else to do. We can't do anything else except talk to each other. Jesus had this experience all the time with his disciples because he walked. He lived at a pace of presence. Now, what does this reflection on Jesus' long walks through Galilee have to offer us? Well, if God incarnate walked through life at the slow, steady pace of one step in front of the other, Maybe following him means matching his pace a little bit more. In a cultural moment that's marked by fast speeds, I just said it by internet and that the TELUS ads are just incredible, like faster, faster, faster. That's what it's all about. Fast speeds, greater efficiency, quicker transit, greater connectivity. The pace that Jesus has might have something to teach us. Now, speed itself isn't the actual issue. But my experience of living a fast-paced, running through life, and when I think about the why of that, why do I push myself to live at a rapid pace and cram more and more into, into each and every day, it comes down to my own idolatry. Running through my days gives me the illusion that I have more control. Running through my days helps me to avoid people that I would rather not talk to. Running through my days helps me to avoid the lurking fears or sins in the back of my mind that I really don't want to think about. When I run through my days, I don't know myself, I don't know others, and I don't know God because I don't have time. Slowing down means that I admit I can't do it all, and I confess that it's hard for me to admit that, and I don't like it but it also means I'm going slower and I make eye contact with other people and look for the image of God in them. It means I take time to confess the sin lurking in the back of my mind and deal with it. It, it means I have at least the mental and physical margin to hear God's voice if he wants to speak to me. At least I have some space for it. Now let's hold on to this as we consider our last the three ideas, the royal donkeys. We're going to go back to Luke 19, verses 35 to 38. And they brought, and they brought it, the, the donkey, to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road, and as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
Now, if Jesus' preferred method of travel was walking, why then does he ride a colt on Palm Sunday? It turns out this decision on the Sunday before his crucifixion was highly intentional. Unbeknownst to those two unnamed disciples who went to that unnamed village over there and brought Jesus a young donkey, it served an incredibly important purpose that they had no idea about at the time. Luke takes great care in his gospel to show us who Jesus is, to reveal his identity as a king, but an unordinary king. Do you remember the infancy narrative stories we looked at in Advent back in December? And Gabriel's words and what he said to to Mary when Jesus was still in her womb. In Luke 1, this is what Gabriel said, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now Luke preaches Jesus the King through the whole gospel. We see right here in, in the infancy There's a kingdom coming and it needs a king and it's Jesus. And then here we get to this point on Palm Sunday where Jesus the king is taking taking the throne of his forefather David. He's preparing to go into the holy city of Jerusalem. And we have a pivotal moment of again seeing what sort of king is Jesus going to be. And riding the donkey tells us a couple things. First, he would not be like the kings of the surrounding nations of Arabia and Egypt and Rome, who ruled with military strength and brute force and intimidation. If he was this type of king, he would, be, he would not be on a donkey, but on a war horse, like Pompey the Great of Rome, who rode into Jerusalem on the same road that Jesus was plodding along on a donkey. About a hundred years earlier, Pompey d- did this ride on a war horse and conquered Jerusalem with military force. To display his power, Pompey rode his mighty horse into, right into the middle of the temple, into the Holy of Holies, and desecrated the Jewish place of worship. That's a power play for you. But Jesus would not fulfill the hopes of the political zealots of his day, who were hoping that their messianic king would come and topple Rome and do something drastic like this. Instead, Jesus rides a donkey, a borrowed donkey. Now, it was customary for Jewish kings to ride upon donkeys in times of peace. That's true. And we see this in the book of Kings. Absalom rides a donkey to his coronation. David rides a donkey uh, into Jerusalem after a military victory. And in Luke 19, we must picture throngs of pilgrims all coming to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And they're all walking because it was custom to walk to the Passover. And then there's Jesus right in the middle of the crowd, for the first time since he was a babe in Mary's womb, riding on a colt. This is a royal procession. It's a royal procession of peace. And it's the royal procession that the kings of Israel were always meant to lead and fulfill, but never could, because they were always pulled to worship other gods or led away by their own sinful desires. Now comes Jesus, the true Son of God and Son of Man, the great Davidic king that Israel longed for and the Messiah that the Jews had been looking for. But even more so, God incarnate arriving in Jerusalem to deliver and rescue his people. 
This is Jesus the King riding on a royal donkey and declaring that his kingdom has come. In Matthew's telling of the story, he highlights for us that Jesus fulfills the words of the prophet Zechariah that we read earlier, who foretold a time when the Messianic king would come to Jerusalem and institute a new kingdom of peace. Here's Zechariah's words, part of his words again. Rejoice, Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. This king will usher in a new kingdom, a new order, not with the instruments of war, the chariot, the war horse, or the battle bow, but with prayer and fasting, with boldness and fervor, and with shedding his own blood for his enemies, as well as his friends, indeed for the whole world. And the end goal of Jesus' kingdom will be reconciliation with God and shalom going to every nation, to the whole earth. And Jesus the King will do this at his own pace, walking and then riding on a colt and then trudging slowly up a hill, bearing a cross. This is God's speed. We go at God's speed, you and I, because it is the pace of Jesus. It's a pace that demands presence with God with ourselves and with others. So we think back on our rhythms and our upwards rhythm. It means consistently walking with Jesus, knowing the scriptures and allowing those scriptures, not just reading them, but seeking his presence in them. In our inwards rhythm, it's seeing all that we have, our time and our money and our very selves as grounds for holiness to be found particularly in those ordinary, everyday parts of your life. In our outwards rhythm, God's speed is following this king of peace, mounted on a donkey and becoming true subjects of his kingdom. Subjects who, who like our king, have hearts that break for those who are far from God and do whatever we can to spread peace to them. In our withwards rhythm, God's speed is taking the time to look people in the eye and remember their names. To pay attention to those we live in community with and to go at a pace of being known ourselves, however vulnerable that may be for us. At Godspeed, we live in a triangle of presence, being fully present at all times with the Holy Spirit and with the other right in front of us and with ourselves. And in every conversation, listening for that voice of the Holy Spirit, what could be happening here? What could be the area of holiness to uncover? We learn to listen deeply, to discern, to pray, and to offer others what God has stirred in us. And at God's speed, we learn to be silent. Now, this is maybe the hardest discipline for me to make time for. But we fight for it because... We know that if we can't slow down long enough to at least listen listen intentionally for the promptings of the Spirit, 
to at least listen for God's voice, then we may never hear him speak. It's hard running through life, isn't it? It's tiring. Well, the good news of the gospel today is that following Jesus, the king of peace who rides on a donkey, means going at his pace, a pace that values presence with God, with others and ourselves, over efficiency, over worldly success, over connectivity. And as subjects of this king, I challenge us, myself included, to pay attention to where God is working around us and to prioritize a pace that fits with who God is calling you to be and who God is calling me to be today.